There's two types of pain in this world. There's the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. And the pain of discipline is, is temporary and it's, it's hard. And the blueprint towards success is hard. The pain of regret is forever. Welcome to the Champion Forward Podcast. Here we discuss the balance and relationship between elite sports performance and emotional health. We interview athletes, their families, and their coaches to hear their unique perspectives, identify how they've stayed connected along the way, and dive into their distinct purposes as human beings that transcend their performance as athletes. Join us on the journey. Okay, John. Give me two claps and a Ric Flair to get this going this morning. You ready? Go. Oh no, that was not in unison. One more time. Ready? Just Two claps and Ric Flair. Woo! Oh he man. Just blasted Come out on. the microphone. It's good. That's a good start. Back to the Champion Forward podcast. I like my mean? Walls Ivy and my Coffee Connect Roasters. That's the t-shirt that Ben is rocking today. Yes, I am. Um, and 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 along I'm with also Chosen Mug. My Chosen Mug. I have the champion. This is a special edition champion Ford t-shirt that I have on today because it's one of our first merch prints and actually the, uh, the color is incorrect. So this is going to be a tough, a tough shirt to find in the future. So I'll be hanging on to this one. This will be an exclusive kind of like, what do you call that? Limited edition. Kind of like an error card when they you used to collect baseball cards That's an error. They made a mistake, oh. but it's more limited because of that. So because of the mistake. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're here for another episode for the Champion Forward podcast. Uh, do you know what episode we're on now? Bet you can't guess. 20 ish. 24. 24. 24. Wow. Wow. I like the number 24. Always have. What do you like about it? It's, it's actually my favorite number was actually 12 growing up. Did you know this? Did I ever tell you this? Yeah, Rich Gannon. No. Roger Staubach. Remember? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Roger yeah. Staubach, you know? Yeah. And then you ended with 18. So yeah. we already have that. If you want to hear the story of 18, you can go back and listen in the viewer Q&A. But uh, the interview that we have in store for the episode today, former NFL football player, um, overlaps Andy. in a lot of different... Okay, go ahead. Well, I was going to get his name right before you butchered it again. Andy, Andy Studebaker. 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 Uh, spent, uh, spent what, five, six, seven years in the NFL and has a lot of crossover with Ben's life. We went to the same school, same high school, same middle school, same Coach Gertis. The interview's awesome, but before we get to the interview, it's time for the... Sports scenario. <laughs> okay, what okay. is it today? I'm today I'm is, interested. Yeah, keep it short. Um, today is when you have a high school athlete who is struggling academically but succeeding athletically. Um, how, as a parent, do you navigate this tension? Mm, well, I mean, if I'm a parent, obviously it kind of depends on your perspective as a parent what you care about, but like. I think we've said this before, how you do anything is how you do everything. And I'm not concerned so much for 
the results as much as I would be concerned and have some fear about work ethic in general of anything that you're doing. Because, you know, if that means if you're not really interested and really passionate about whatever you're doing, you might be slacking off. And that's not really a recipe for success as an adult, because as we as all of us as adults know, there's going to be a lot of things that they're going to have to do as an adult that, that you're not passionate about, that you don't love, but you just got to do them because it's part of part of adulthood. Right. So part of our job as a parent is trying to teach our kids how to how to do everything to the best of their ability and and get things done that they need to get done and if you're struggling academically um it may it may be an indication of some sort of work ethic issue you know um as a parent that's the that would be the first thing i would check on i would have fear i'm gonna go to the emotions i would have fear i would have some probably shame as a parent like hey what am i not doing well as a parent that I should be doing better for my kids so that they, they can succeed at academically. But then I think it's natural to tar- start to try to get on the case of your young person without actually talking to them first and seeing maybe why the grades aren't what they should be, because it's not the grade that's the issue. You know, I, I, I'm okay with my kids struggling with a grade. I'm, I'm a lot more concerned if they're struggling with actual work ethic. Mm. You know, so, so So if the work ethics there, bring it back to the process and not the outcome. 100%. But as a parent, you, you're going to feel shame. Like that's when a lot of, what a lot of parents don't realize they're feeling is, oh, I feel ashamed because my kid is struggling academically, you know, or you got the opposite where a parent like, is just like, ah, it's not important. Don't worry about it. Hmm. Right. You're sending the wrong message there too. I think as a parent, because you're you're saying that, oh, it's okay if you work hard in this realm, but not in that one. You know, that's that's kind of a an out of balance perspective that we at probably at Champion Four wouldn't wouldn't advise giving. But most parents are really concerned with their kids succeeding so much in all realms that they that they're trying to trying to rescue them from that and make sure that they don't ever fail when when failure might be what they need at that time of life to learn like, Hey, there's consequences to, to maybe not working as hard as you, you could in this realm. Yeah. So maybe implementing some consequences if the work ethic isn't there. I know that's always a tough tension to manage. Uh, so yeah, well, thanks for the input, Ben, on the sports scenario. And these are things I will most likely need to learn as I prepare for the birth of my first child. Um, as we're recording this episode, we are still a few weeks out. But yeah. for now, let's jump into the interview with Andy Studebaker, unless you have any final words, Ben. Well, I was just going to say, like, we're all as parents, if you feel some level of shame with your kid's performance, that's exactly why we want, why we created Champion Forward, for all of us to deal with our emotions around the sports and performance experience. And so uh, I, I often feel a level of shame about my own parenting and, and whether I, whether or not I feel like I'm doing it well, but at the end of the day, you know, if I can give myself grace and patience and compassion, just like I want to be able to give my kids, we're all going to be better off as, as they're working towards developing as a, as a human being and an athlete. Good words, Ben, per usual. Thanks for the, <laughs> thanks for the feedback. Okay. All right. And now enjoy the interview with Andy Studebaker. Yeah, here we go. All right. Well, we are here with Andy Studebaker. I'm, I, that's the first thing I want to nail down. 
Is it Studebaker? Studebaker. Come on, John. Studebaker. Yeah. Okay, okay. sorry. Close didn't enough. you ever didn't no. you ever know about the car way back when, you know, the old Studebaker cars? Surely no. you've heard of that, John. I mean, listen, you're I'm so much younger than you. I'm way younger President than you. Harrison's, What's the Stud- okay? Studebakers? Okay, Studebaker. And I just found out I was doing a little bit of research. While on the Chiefs, you were known as the Student Baker. Yeah, I don't know. That's something I read, but I don't ever remember hearing it. I think that's like <laughs> I think that's like revisionist history or was like Part of some dark hole, you know, like Reddit type of thing where no one really actually said it to me, but yeah. apparently, yeah, that was a thing. <laughs> that, that was a thing back in yeah. whenever. Uh, but we're recording this just a few days after the Super Bowl. Uh, for those of you on audio, I am rocking my Chiefs um, sweatshirt and a couple reasons. Number one, we'll get into it, but Andy obviously played for the Chiefs for a few years, but we're coming off our third Super Bowl in five years. And it was a long journey as a Chiefs fan, man, like growing up, going to games, Lynn Elliott missing field goals, you know, Rich Gannon falling short. So I, I hate to say I'm getting used to it, but it's been fun. It was, it was Should I know so, those names? Because I don't, you know, yeah. I just... <laughs> Probably not from Central Illinois. So that's okay. the connection here. Uh, Andy, you're from Central Illinois as well. Say, it was at the same high school y'all went to or no? Yes, yes. The same, same okay. went to the same middle school and high school, right, Andy? Yep. yep. So, Ben, you were probably, you're, you're in my sister's class, or I can't remember, but you're, I don't think we ever crossed paths. You were always like one year ahead. Yeah, like you, you would have been like in eighth grade when I was a senior or something like that. Cleaning up the mess, you know. <laughs> okay, so was Ben, you know, Ben didn't have any college scholarships, Andy. So, like, was he that good? of? Was he an athlete where, like, you were in middle school looking up and going, like, oh, Ben's Zobrist, or was it like he was just another guy? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as a, as a kid growing up in Eureka, like, your eyes are kind of always, like, that was the thing for us was, I, as I remember it being like, I remember when, like, the 1992 basketball team went to state and that was a big deal. I was probably in fourth grade, mm-hmm. third grade maybe. And I didn't really, you didn't really comprehend it, but you knew it was special. And then when I was in middle school that, you know, that, that sort of sports identity starts taking over in a small town and you started to see the guys ahead of you. And so Ben's class was a really good class. I remember they had a, like a, a really amazing senior basketball season. And I think I was in eighth grade at the time and we were pretty good. And they had this tragic loss. And, and then I was like, that's never, we are going to be better than that team. It was hard to watch <laughs> those guys. They didn't know it. Right. But we like idolized them. Like I always knew who Ben was. Um, he was friends with some of my siblings, but I knew him more as like, I, I didn't even know him. I just knew him as this version of a guy that I saw playing sports. And it was like, that's who we're going to be someday. And we've got, we've got to, we've got to be better. So like fast forward five years, we had the exact same experience. Like we were oh. ranked third in state and then we totally just like wet the bed in regional. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, that's, but it, to your question, it's like, yeah, we, I didn't really know Ben in that class, but just you just admire those guys because those were the guys kind of blazing the trail right ahead of you. Yeah, um, that's far a- enough out that you weren't there yet, but close enough that it was like palpable, you know. And you're like, I'm going to be there in just a couple of years. I got to put the work in, you know. Yeah, I think that was a big part of my experience too. Was it? Yeah. I wasn't looking to pro guys as much as I was like looking at the older high school guys that were so good. Yeah. 
that I was like, oh, I just want to, could, could we win state? You know, like after that experience when we were in grade school and you're watching these high school guys go to state and it's such a big deal for the whole town. Like that's small town sports in Illinois for you. Like, and I think that that's what drew me into that, that being a suit, you know, like really wanted to be a great athlete in high school. But then I didn't really even think beyond. Did you, did you think beyond that when you were a kid in Congerville no. or were you just like, just looking at high school kind of? age yeah i mean i was it's you're in the moment which i actually think is probably the health a healthier thing um this i mean we can probably, probably get into all that but i think it's healthy to look at people that you know and respect and try to emulate sort of what they have done before you rather than look into the pros i mean playing pro football was never on my radar it wasn't even on my radar until you know way down the road in college and so my experience was just do the things you enjoy doing, do them the best that you can, enjoy the people that you're doing them with and see what happens. And it just kind of led down this path that I never expected. Yeah. How, how did you, as I think through that, like your class was, was really good athletes too, right? Like I remember my class in school being very good at a lot of different sports. Did you guys have that experience of being together as a team and feeling like I want to win with these guys? Like, like for me, that was definitely a big part of what I, what I, where I felt like I fit is was with yeah. those teams and those guys. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember being. I, I guess I don't. I don't remember because I was. I was not like a baseball guy, so the baseball team was pretty good. But I got, I was so bad at baseball. I couldn't hit water from a boat. You know, it's like I never enjoyed the sport. I always kind of sucked at it. And and my family still makes fun of me because I'm like the only non non baseball guy. But I think like the the community was great because I think there's in the small town that we grew up in, Eureka and Congerville, Goodfield. Like there's just sort of this sense of um, belonging in my in my experience. there's like a shared set of values that it seems that everybody, you know, everyone's a little different, but there's a shared set of values that I think brings a lot of people together. And you're just, the friends that you make are really great. And the people that you're around, it's, you're around them all the time, whether you like it or not. So you kind of find a way to, to navigate hard things because like your class isn't that big. You don't have a lot of options. And so there's, you just find common ground with a group of people and, sports I think was the way that we did that Uh, we were blessed with some great coaches and and I think beyond coaching and sports it's it's a community of people that have those shared values that sort of bring you know that desire to do well for them right because you're you feel like you're representing that group of people whether it's in middle school sports even all the way to like professional sports Speaking of shared values, the two of you had a very important mentor in your life and coach in your life. Uh, he's our by far our most popular podcast guest in Coach Gertis. Yeah, I listened so, to that one. It was awesome. Yeah. So you had the Gertis experience as well. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, I mean, tell us, yeah, tell us about yeah. that. I mean, it's probably all the same stuff that Ben said because I mean that's the, the way you become a legend is through consistency. He was the same guy every day for probably fifty years. I don't wow. Know, long coach coach but he he's one of those guys I still keep in touch with today and you know not not very often but once a year I'll just shoot him a text and just check in and see how he's doing and um, when I look back at 
all of my achievements in sports, um, the foundation was laid in seventh grade, beginning with getting cut from his seventh grade baseball team. I didn't make it. And, you know, it was devastating because you're supposed to be on Coach Gertis's teams. Otherwise, what in the world's going on? And I got cut. That was my first experience with him. And, uh, you know, then you have him as a teacher. And then I tried out for basketball. And like our first, I don't know if your first basketball tryouts were this, but it was like, I always wanted to be a basketball player. So the baseball thing was like water off a duck's back, you know, and showed up for practice. And I'm like, this is my chance. Like, I can't blow this one. And you start and he's like, 10 laps. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> he's like, at the beginning grade, of every 10 laps. <laughs> and you're like, 10 laps, eighth grade, 10 laps. And you do that for like 45 minutes. You didn't even touch a basketball for your first day. It was just like, he just weed you out. <laughs> yeah. You're just running around the volleyball court. And that to me was like, it wasn't about running. It wasn't about punishing people. It wasn't about making people miserable. It was about saying, we're going to do some things that are hard every single day. And if you're going to love the game of basketball, then you have to love the things that go along with it. And it's not all glory and it's not all, you know, fans in the stands. Sometimes it's 10 laps around the volleyball court for 40 minutes. And I think that that is a lesson that I carried with me. Um, for years that if you want to be a part of something great, then you have to be, a, you have to be willing to do things that aren't so fun. And lesson number one, seventh grade. And then there's like this other time in seventh grade, you know, you, you, we, we had to like jump these heavy ropes, you know? Oh yeah. Every, before practice. Every <laughs> but we time. Tried, at, the, at the time we probably thought we, that we were fooling him, but we would always do like, they would be behind the heavy, the, you know, the curtain that, that splits the court and guys, you know, we were like, Hey, I, we can fool this guy, you know? So we're just like hitting the court, hitting the, the, the rope on the wood so we could avoid some pain. And I'm convinced to this day, he knows we were cheating him, you know, but at the end of the day, he got us. <laughs> yeah. so, well, as Tom Zobrist would say from the podcast, you're just cheating yourself, Andy. That's it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, you know, and coach kept up with me through, you know, you kind of lose track through high school and even even some way through college. But you know, we were playing the San Diego Chargers one time, and Coach Gert is sitting right there with with Karen, and showed up to a game and came out and met him in the parking lot. And you go, man, this guy that like made me that that cut me my first my first sport ever in high in middle school became like a, a mentor and role model for me has probably been watching me this entire time in ways that I didn't fully appreciate. And here he is at the pinnacle of my career as a fan. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's like we flipped roles where I was always a fan of coach Gertis. And then suddenly he became a fan to me and was supporting me in ways that I didn't know. And I've just always admired the guy and, you know, he's ageless. He can, he's probably one of the best athletes to ever go through that town. <laughs> Honestly, he's like, he's just this an amazing true. human being. This is true. Don't don't try to beat him at golf right now. I'm not, I'm not. When Ben and I called him, I remember I was with Ben. He said, "I gotta call Coach. We gotta get him on the podcast." This was like last summer, 
and he calls him up and and he goes, yeah, you know, Ben, I just got done throwing the ball outside for about four (laughs) hours. I was whole time QB, you know, he's just ageless, just still playing. Uh, You know, I want to speak to the coaches for a minute that maybe are listening to this podcast uh, because I imagine being a coach is one of the most challenging roles at times. And it's almost like you're building foundations of houses that you never get to see how they fully develop. That's right. You, know, you had the career where you were able to see what it became and you were under, you know, you had a, a, mic, uh, a microscope on your career and Coach Curtis could follow that. But there's so many kids that he impacted that he probably never got to stay in touch with. But that's just yeah. a level of encouragement to maybe coaches listen to this. It's like you just said, you know, you've done amazing things. You were, you know, All-American in college, drafting the NFL, playing in the NFL. But you look back and you said it all started, the foundations for me started in seventh grade. Yeah. I think sometimes in this world, we find ourselves that's so instant gratification focused. It's like, I need to make an impact right now. It's like, no, yeah. the impact you're making is going to reap, you know, reap a harvest for years to come. Uh, yeah, but so- one of my college coaches, one of my college coaches who probably had a one of the biggest impacts on my life, just so he said, you know, people are not going to remember the scores of these games, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And that's to your point is, you know, these we're so focused on winning and performance now that I think we're forgetting the fact that, you know, these, these scores aren't going to be remembered, but all of these kids that are involved in sports, all of these college athletes, high school athletes, pro athletes, they're going to forget the scores of even all of the biggest games they played in. Um, But they're not going to, they're not going to forget how you impacted their life. They're going to take lessons that you've taught them. They're going to remember moments that were funny in the locker room, speeches that you gave that somehow 20 years later, they recall those and it's applicable into a messy situation in their everyday life. And I think that's the value of all of of the coaches in sports. Ben. Yeah. I, 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 well, I'm thinking about how, how blessed we were to be able to come through a community like that too, because like you said, that sense of belonging and that sense of, hey, we, we look up to the people that we're around, the people that are in our town, the people that we we get to do life with. And and we weren't we nobody in Eureka knew somebody that was playing in the NFL or the major leagues. And so there, it wasn't really a dream that was attainable. And we weren't sitting around on YouTube watching highlight after highlight of stuff. You know, we, we didn't live the highlight life like a lot of these young kids do. And, yeah. and I think there's something, like you said, really healthy about, Hey, we were in our small circle in our place and we had all these teachers and coaches that plugged into us and nobody was expecting us to be something incredibly special. It was literally like, we want, we want to help Andy Studebaker grow up to be a solid young man. We don't know what he's going to do someday, but but we're going to help him learn and coach him and try to build character in him. And I don't remember the travel sports around Eureka getting as cra- any sort of crazy. Like my travel was going an hour or two away at max, like past to East Peoria or past East Peoria, you know, over to like <laughs> – it's like that's as far as we went for travel. We we never got on a plane. I didn't get on a plane until like my junior year of high school. Yeah. And 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 that was just a it was a there was something really nice about less. Less was more in regard to that and simple was 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 more rich than complex, you know, the complexities of we got to have everything 
perfect and you got to get to the next level. And, and I'm curious about how you, how you developed into a, a college athlete because in high school, obviously there's lots of good athletes that went through Eureka high school. A lot of them, some of them went on to play college. We knew that that was a possibility. We saw some really good players go play in college, but in football, particular in our town, you didn't Tom. see, yeah, you, football, it's not exactly a football powerhouse, you know, no offense to, to our football teams now that have been good, but, but honestly, like, how did, how did you experience that, like, getting to the next level uh, from, from a small town like that? Yeah, I mean, and again, it came from a coach, um, Matt O'Hanlon, um, Coach O, as I call, as we all called him, he was a teacher at the high school. And I think it was like, it was like week seven or I think it was probably week seven of my senior year. So like, if you know anything about college football recruiting, it's basically done by the end of your junior year. I mean, it's like, it, it's, if you're going to play college football, you've indicated that interest by your sophomore year. And it's, if you're a prime recruit, you're signed before the end of your junior year. Most of the time, you know, we're not, I wasn't a prime recruit. I was a late bloomer. I think I weighed like 205 my senior year. So I think I graduated at 205. So I might've been 200 pounds my senior year and things were going well. I was better at basketball. I was better at track than I was accolades in football, but I kind of had this just sort of athleticism that sort of showed up on a football field too. And uh, we were out at practice one day and coach O came up to me and he said, have you ever thought about playing college football. And the thought has literally never entered my mind. <laughs> right? Like it's, I don't think it's ever entered my mind. Now my brother went to Wheaton college. So I guess, I guess it had sort of entered my mind in that way where it was like, well, maybe, maybe I'll play college football, but I was just so, so focused on when football's over, we're going to go win a state championship in basketball. I didn't even care about, it wasn't really a thing that it was like, core to my identity, you know? And Coach O was like, you ever thought about it? I think you might be able to. And I was like, yeah, I guess let's try it, you know? And we didn't know how to do it. So he said, okay, well, I'll, I'll make a highlight tape for you and I'll send a bunch of tapes out. So we sent tapes out to Northern Illinois, Southern Illinois, Eastern, Western, University of Illinois, Illinois, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell the story of Illinois State. We sent to Iowa State, Murray State, I mean, every division, one AA and two school within 200 miles, and nobody nobody responded. Um, and then I, I, I drove over to Illinois State to drop off my tape, and that was the first experience where I was like, they're going to throw that in the garbage. Uh, they are totally, they totally blew me off, you know, and I hadn't experienced that yet, mm. but nobody showed any interest. And then the D3 schools started kind of showing up. Um, and we went through that process, but coach O'Hanlon was the one that sort of pushed me, nudged me that direction and gave me the confidence to say someone else from the outside said, I think you can do this. And I think, you know, we were talking about the impact of a coach when someone else who's in a position of authority shows you that you that they believe in you, it opens doors that you never thought were open. Now, whether it turns into anything is sort of irrelevant, but it sort of expanded my worldview in a way that I hadn't thought of before. And just that little spark of confidence turned into me 
walking football tape into Illinois State. Mm. No, they blew me off, but I at least have the confidence <laughs> to do it. They, they, re- they regret that now, Andy. Trust me. <laughs> well, who knows, you know? So I ended up going to getting recruited by these D3 schools, still thinking I was probably going to play basketball and hoping maybe if that didn't work out, I could get a high jump scholarship, you know, whatever. I, I just, it wasn't, isn't that everybody's plan B? If it doesn't yeah, work out, you know, it's like, high <laughs> jump. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it, it was one of those things where I started to go, okay, football is – Football is a tool for me. I'm not. I'm clearly not a big player. The NFL is not on my horizon. What is football for me? Well, football is a tool for me. So it's going to be a tool that I can use to get into schools that I don't academically belong into. Like that was my original thought was you can use football to get into uh, and make up for some of your slacking, <laughs> essentially, which is how I ended up kind of going choosing the schools I was choosing between and then ultimately I was like you know football is going to be for the next four years and then I'm going to go do whatever for the rest of my life but in the meantime I can play football for four more years I can play basketball at the YMCA for 40 so I might as well just like play football for four more years go to Wheaton uh, go to go to a, a great academic school and more importantly go be around people that you want to be like. And that's why I ultimately chose to go to Wheaton college was because I had seen my brother. Uh, he went there the year before me and he would bring his friends home and all these things. And I was like, man, these are great people. And I started to meet these coaches and I'd never had coaches like this before. I'd never had grown men speak into my life. Like these coaches spoke into my life. I had great influences growing up, but this was a different a wholly different experience for me. Um, And so football to me was just a game I could use. And then I said, okay, well, what do I want to be like? What kind of marriage do I want to have when I'm 35? What kind of friends do I want to have? What kind of businessman do I want to be? What kind of whatever you're going to be? What kind of person do you want to be like? And then just go surround yourself with those people for the next four years and just use football as the tool to get there. And so that's that's ultimately what took me to Wheaton College. So I think, you know, my experience in the sports recruiting world is pretty unique because it was never on my radar to begin with. And then I think the calculus was just it was never about making it to the next level. It was never about money. I mean, I paid I came out of school with seventy thousand dollars in debt. I didn't get a scholarship. And so it was really just about pursuing an experience and pursuing people that I wanted to end up influencing my life in ways that, man, I wouldn't be able to predict, you know? Mm. Well, shout out to coach. O. uh, as surprised, yeah. I actually have him prepared in the waiting room. He's going to come on. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you said there's something so powerful about people, people that believe in us before we believe in ourselves. And in those positions, when they speak into our lives and they, that, that opened a new realm for you into a possibility. And that was your experience. And so for most of our listeners, including me, uh, I'm really thrilled for you and Ben that y'all had like the Pleasantville experience growing up, like safe community, (laughs) like there wasn't a lot of pressures, you know, you had great people around you. Um, it sounds like you were able to be extremely present in the moment. Like Mm -hmm. you were present in football, you were present saying, Hey, basketball is going to be next. Um, you, we were living in a time that there wasn't as many distractions, but fast forward, 
world changes, life changes. We have so many distractions now, and that makes it incredibly challenging to be present in the moment. And I want to jump, you know, jump a little bit from you wearing the hat of being a competitor and athlete at, at Wheaton and then in the NFL. And now I want to put on your hat of being a parent because our worlds collide in kind of a unique, uh, comical way. And that, you know, being from Kansas city, my family all lives in Kansas city still I'm in, in Nashville area, but my niece and your daughter, uh, play basketball together. And I so do. you're now entering the realm of you and your wife are having to parent these young athletes. Tell yeah. us about that experience and how different it is, you know, than, than when you were growing up. Yeah. I mean, it's just, just right off the bat, it's different that like when I was a kid, we weren't allowed to even, I mean, we weren't allowed to play on Sunday. Right. And you know, the seasons were shorter. I, you know, we had five kids in our family, so we couldn't like, I don't, we just didn't have the bandwidth. I don't know. I don't even know if that stuff was available, but like the family rule was we're not playing on Sundays and got a, you know, and we mostly held to it anymore. As a parent, I was talking to someone the other day and it's like, if you, if I have that dogmatic rule today in Kansas city, I can't, my kids can't play sports because they don't play, they don't play games during the week anymore. Mm. Everything is on Saturday and Sunday. And so it's even just that shift alone has, has made me pull back and go, what, are, what should I, cause this is not the way I grew up, like going to games on Sundays. That's not the way I, we weren't allowed to do it. But if I have that rule, then what I'm telling my kids is that they can't do any of this because that's where the people are. That's when the games are. So it's just that immediate challenge as a parent is like, whoa, I have to make my own decisions for my kids based on what we believe, not based off of the way you grew up, because it's just, it's a totally different dynamic. Mm. And then, and then you just get into the specialization of sports that the push to get kids specialized. And I think it comes from, I think it comes from a good place, you know, as parents, I have four kids, 11, a nine-year-old and two eight-year-olds. And every parent wants their kid to be special. And I think that's like this innate desire that we have. I want my kid to be special and it's a good, that's a good thing. But the temptation then is to do what? Specialize them. I'm going to make you special. You're not already special. I have to make you special. And so what we do is we push our kids into these intense environments that they're not ready, ready to really consume yet. You know, all of the all of the relevant literature says that kids don't use winning as a primary motivator until about 12 or 13. And we're making, we're using it as a primary motivator at nine. And so we've just totally flipped the sports world upside down and said, well, what's important for sports? Well, it probably depends on what age you are, but we're not asking those questions. Does that make sense? So, so we're using winning and competition as the driving force for eight-year-old soccer when it's really not important to the kids until 12 and we wonder why they're burning out at 13. That's because we've been using the wrong, you know, incentive structure for sports at the wrong ages. And the competition level, to me, has just become sort of insane. That's a great, that's a great point. Uh, I've never really thought about the, the age, age incentives and what is proper 
age incentive. So talk about that for me. I'm curious about what your thoughts are on the age incentive of like, say, a 16 year old, a 17 year old, you know, like, like what is it proper to give them, in your opinion, an incentive of, hey, let's let's get you a, a college scholarship. Now you need to specialize and let's go. You got to get that college scholarship. You know, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think I think if the kids if the kid wants to do it, our job as parents is to lay out the blueprint on how that would be done. So if a kid is indicated, hey, I want to, I think I have a, I think I'm, I want to pursue football. I want to pursue a college scholarship. Okay, then it's, then it's my job as a parent to lay out the blueprint and say, hey, this is, this is what that probably would take. Mm -hmm. Is that, are you willing to take these steps? You know, and, and here's an exit ramp after each stage, you know, like I think you have to provide the blueprint and the exit ramp in the event that this is really not what the kid wants. So, you know, my boys are <clears throat> my boys love flag football, love it. But now they want to play tackle football. And I was like, well, I don't see any benefit to playing tackle football, really. You know, football doesn't make you better at any other sport and every other sport makes you better at football. So we're going to focus on everything oh, else. Oh, good point. <laughs> I, I really believe that. Like, if you can, if you can be a great basketball player, it'll translate to football. Tony like, G. Exactly. And if you're a great baseball player, it probably translates to football. But like Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> yeah, but but playing football doesn't doesn't help you hit a 90 mile an hour fastball. Like it That's just it's, trust me, it doesn't. <laughs> like I couldn't hit couldn't hit one if I tried, but. I told my boys, I said, hey, cool, that I'm excited you want to play. You need to we're going to put in a year of training, though. Mm. It's going to it's going to take you it's going to cost you a year of training in order to step on the field with pads for the first time. And if you're not ready to do that year of training, then you don't want to play football. Man, like you, you, you just went all Coach Curtis on him, man. Said, "Look, it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to make you uncomfortable first before you get the glory of the pads." You know, it's like, but you say you want. It's my point is, you say you want this college scholarship. You know, to your question, it's like you want this college scholarship. Are you willing to do the work? You know, college, like for me, college football is the most fascinating thing in the world because you start in January and you do hundreds of hours of repetition. You know, I'm puking in garbage cans at 5 a.m. in January. If the average player plays six, 60 plays a game and it lasts six to seven seconds per play, you're training for hundreds of hours in exchange for about 19 minutes of actual play. Actuals in season, not huddle, like actual snap to whistle time. So there's this massive blueprint and you say, okay, this is what that looks like. Do you want to take these steps? And if the answer is yes for the kid at 16, then I'm like, well, then let's take the steps and go forward. But I think what we're not we're not doing as a culture and maybe as parents is saying, here's here's the blueprint for you to become successful. Here's what other people have done. Here's how some people are doing it. Let's let's start down this path and keep the discussion going. No, we start from the we start from the end and we work to the beginning. And we start from the assumption that 
you can achieve this. This is who you will be. And if you don't reach that, you're a failure. Mm. And I think we, we've just totally flipped it on these kids. And now it's like, I'm going to do all these things so that my kid can get the scholarship versus saying, I'm going to do all these things because this blueprint, if, if they don't end up as a professional, having gone through that process of pursuing it is going to make them a better citizen. <laughs> it will make them a better father, a better husband, a better wife, whatever it is. Going through the discipline is going to make you better, whether or not you reach the ultimate goal or not. Mm -hmm. And we're not, we're not focused on the process. We're focused on the end result. And I think that's kind of killing us in sports. So if you've never known why you were called the student baker, now we know, bro, you are process driven. It's about a recipe, <laughs> man. This stuff out. Yeah. But yeah. the problem is our culture has created the cookies in a box, right? Yeah. I can just throw them in the microwave and I don't understand the process it's going to take. And so, Andy, that is so good. Yeah. Well, then my college coach told me one time, he goes, you know, there's two, there's two types of pain in this world. There's the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. And the pain of discipline is, is temporary and it's, it's hard. And the blueprint towards success is hard. The pain of regret is forever. Skipping out on these things and cutting corners and not, not, not like calculating the cost of what you're trying to build and looking back and regretting it is a pain that would last forever. And that, that lesson applies into every facet of your life, but the pain of discipline is worth it. And the pain is temporary. And I think that's what we need to teach kids in sports is like, you know, there is a, you're going to go through a lot of pain. It's temporary pain that is ultimately shaping your character and your resolve and whatever you, whatever it leads to is, is fine. It's probably fine. So Andy, let me ask you this because you're, you obviously had a, you know, you had an NFL career. Um, some people maybe didn't know you played in the NFL or who you played for. They maybe don't know that in your first start, you picked off big Ben twice. Uh, you know, you had some great years with Kansas city, a couple years in Indianapolis, but now after your career, um, you're doing some work, I think, with with players as well. But one thing we talk about Champion Forward, and I want to get your input on this, is that Champion Forward, we're talking a lot about improving mental well-being, not just for athletes, but also for parents and coaches, but specifically around athletes, improving well-being. And <clears throat> when someone does not become the champion they want to be, right? You're talking to guys that are maybe retiring or moving on in life. The story that I'm really connecting with is like when someone doesn't accomplish what they want to accomplish, right? You have these dreams, you want to be a champion, you want to win, you want to achieve at a high level when that doesn't happen. And when that ends, because ultimately it will end, how do you move forward? So can you talk in your experience and what you're studying, what you're learning, you're, you're talking to guys, you're, you're obviously getting educated on this. How can you speak to some of those kids that are maybe going from one season, like maybe their senior year's ending and they're not going to play their sport anymore? Like how do they move forward going into this new season ahead? Yeah, I mean, I, oof, that is, I mean, there's been a lot of ink spilled on that. Um, I'll try to unpack it. Just, I think what we're dealing with is an identity crisis. It's a huge identity crisis, and I dealt with it as a player. I dealt with it at the end of my career is you, if you build your identity around that ultimate goal, 
and that is and and if you don't if you're not ultimately that champion that you envisioned yourself being if if that is failure then you've built this identity around something that was never really it was always theoretical to begin with and i think what we're deal i think what i'm seeing is i'll just speak from my own personal experience like when you're trying to be something for everybody else when you're trying, when you're building this illustration, and I think it's fine to have goals. I don't want, I don't want people to listen to this and think, Oh, I don't want to, it's bad to want to be a world series champion. Like, no, of course, that's an amazing goal. And if you should, you should strive for that. I think having goals is great, but when that becomes your identity and anything short of that leaves you as a failure, um, you're going to run it. You run into a lot of problems and, and I think you're missing out on the opportunity to dig into what what are your strengths? What are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? What about being a champion is intriguing to you? What do you enjoy, what what about this sport or this activity that you do um, brings life to you? Because there's a million other places in the world that you can tap into those um, desires, those passions that you have, and and you can kind of scratch that itch because you have, you, you know, you've have, you have the experience and you have the strengths and the abilities to do multiple things. It doesn't have to be this one thing that you've centered your identity on. So I think one challenge that I've had over the last, you know, when my career ended is you suddenly the phone stops ringing and you go, oh man, like, I don't know. I, I, I was a football player for so long. I'm in the NFL. That's my identity. So when I'm not in the NFL, what do I tell people? Like, who am I? And I think we, we can, you can pursue the ultimate goal while doing some self-discovery and figuring out what exactly you're good at. I mean, I love strengths finders. I think that's a great, a great test that people should be taking to go, what am I, what kind of, what kind of things am I good at? And then where does that broadly apply outside of this ultimate goal that I've set up? Mm. Great answer. Ben's language is self-discovery. Love language. His love language is self-discovery. So he's over here smiling like crazy. I love it. Well, I, well, it's, powerful. It's, it's powerful stuff, man. Like I did strength. I did the strength finders test about six months, eight months after about a year after I was done playing. And I was still struggling because I knew I was still good enough to play in the NFL. I was just, just the business of the NFL doesn't love 31 year olds. You know, it's like you're kind of ancient. So and taking a test and seeing an actual result of like, hey, you're really good at these five things. Do you, like, do you know how good that felt? It was like Coach O'Hanlon back in high school saying, hey, have you ever thought about playing football? You're pretty good at it. Like when, mm. when, when an outside source like affirms you as a person and goes, hey, these are the five things you're really good at. Suddenly you start to see those five things in the world all around you. You just didn't recognize it, you know? And it's, it's, it's funny. Like one of the, one of my strengths was like a ranger, which means I'm really good at seeing things and where they should fit in place. Like, you know, perfect examples. Like when it's time to pack for a trip, my wife puts the luggage at the door and I'm like, don't touch it. I'll pack it in the car. Cause that's, cause I already know where it's going. I can like, I can see it in space. And during football games, when I wasn't playing, if I was unsigned or a free agent, I would like go out to the garage and just re reorganize the garage, which 
seemed weird to me at the time, but I think what I was doing was tapping into something I was good at doing. And it was Mm. watching the screen that I thought I should have been playing on and feeling like a failure. I would just go do something naturally that I was good at and not even recognize that I was doing it. So my point is like understanding things that you're good at can lead you towards towards things that are healthy for you. You know, sitting in front of a TV feeling like a failure is really not a great spot to be in. No, no. Well, I have do- a uh, I have a fully expenses paid trip with your name on it if you want to come and, and get my garage in order uh, <laughs> before, this, before this baby comes because that's yeah, one thing that's on my to-do list. But Ben, you got to comment on that, man. Like, and that's a huge thing you and I sit and talk about is awareness. That's what we talk about, Andy, is awareness is one of our pillars is, you know, having a conscious knowledge of your strengths. You know, who are you and what are what are your strengths? What are you uniquely gifted to do? But Ben, I got to hear your thoughts on this. Well, yeah, well, I think one of the things that happens for a professional athlete when they're gone is they've, they've spent so much time around the team that all of a sudden they feel very isolated, not with your guys anymore. You're not, you know, like, who who am I with? And if you made a, a level of money, you didn't have to jump into a new job or on a new team. It's like, well, I don't even know what team to join. I don't know who, where, where do I belong outside of the, the the sports world? And to a certain degree, you need other people. That's part of what StrengthsFinder is great about is it is an awareness tool. It was developed by people that know enough about personality to know what questions to ask, how to get curious about you in order to find some things that you didn't know about yourself before. So you yeah. answer those questions. They tell you, look, here's some things you didn't, you don't, you don't know about yourself. The more you're in good quality community with people that actually know you and know how to lift you up, know how to tell you the things that they see that you don't see. It's like that Joe Hari's window, right, John? Like we need people. We need curiosity from people that love us the most in order to figure out things about ourselves. We cannot do that in a silo. It's impossible for us to figure that out alone. And so as a former athlete, when everybody was bringing something to you, especially at the professional ranks, you know, or if you're a younger athlete and you always had a parent or a coach or somebody leading you through every little thing you were doing, the schedule was made for you. And now, now all of a sudden you have to make your own schedule. Now, all of a sudden you have to figure out what you're supposed to do for other people instead of them doing things for you, because it's no longer about just performing on a field. It's about actually helping others do their greatest performances in life, right? With your own kids. And that could be a really challenging thing. Am I even good at anything else besides this? But I believe, just like you said, it's so powerful to start to know and understand things about yourself. You asked a good question. You said, what did I love about this thing that I've done for so long? Not just like, oh yeah, I just love the game. Like that's not detailed enough. There's yeah. something within the game that you really loved desperately that is different than the guys that were next to you playing it. And the more you can understand that and know that, even like you said, while you're still playing, it gives you an idea of like, hey, I think of myself like this when I was in the batting cage. I am a tinkerer. I love whiteboard sessions. I love like throwing new ideas. So when I was in the batting cage, I'm like trying new things with my swing. I'm trying to figure out what, what will this do for my swing? How will this help me? You know, and I play with all those things. And that was the most fun I had when I played. And no one ever saw that except for the guys that saw me in the batting cage. You know, but but that 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 just knowing the thing about tinkering is like you can tinker with a lot of things. A lot of things. That's exactly right. You know that word about yourself, then the whole world sort of opens up to you and like, 
I kind of enjoyed fixing the lawnmower. That's weird. You know, like, yeah. you know, there's things all around you that you can go, man, I, I liked doing that. I like thinking of new ideas and new things to try and things I've never done. And man, the whole world is just wide open. Doors start opening for you. And that, that was the hardest thing for me as a player is like, I just defined myself at behind the NFL shield. And then one day they just took it away. It was like, it was gone. Yeah. Yep. But, but to the degree to which you know what your strengths are, even when you take the uniform off, is also the degree of which, hey, I can employ this in a lot of different ways in life and help a lot of people using that those strengths. Yeah. So I, I love that. Well, Andy, as we land the plane here, uh, and you brought tremendous value, clarity, uh, I kind of want to end with this question because – I referenced it before, but you're wearing you're wearing the hats. You've worn the hats of the pe- the, the people group we're trying to serve at Champion Forward. Um, you know, this is I think this is a hard question. Like, what would you tell your younger self? I, I think that's a challenging question to answer. But as you think through some of the things we've talked about today, and as you look at the landscape that that frankly you're just starting to step into, right? You're just starting to step into it with your kids uh, in these teenage years. Um, are there some resources that you're that you're trying to uh, utilize? Are there people you're following? Like, where would you point parents if they're sitting here going, you know, Andy seems like he's he's got some stuff. I, I want to learn more about this. Like, how would you point them into navigating these these crucial years that are coming up? And maybe what are you doing in your experience to to do that well? Yeah, that is. Uh, I don't I don't have like a ooh I'm a follower of these tenants or something like that. I. I mean, truly, a lot of my philosophy and my experience comes from having great coaches. So that's my my logic becomes circular. It's like you want to be a great coach. You should have had great coaches in seventh and eighth grade all the way through college. It's like, well, that's not super helpful for those that didn't. Right. Mm -hmm. But that was my experience. And so when I look when I when I think of coaching and the philosophy of sports and 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 self-discovery, it's it's a, a lot of it just comes from the fact that I, I woke up on third base and thought I hit a triple, you know, like I was given a lot of these things um, that I, do, I don't know how to say, hey, you should follow these three people. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't have that resource. Um, I'm sure they're out there, but I'd be I'd be lying if I said I was like a disciple of some philosophy. Mm. Well, I, I, I know that you are getting your own experience. You're learning as you go. You're, it sounds like you're paying it forward in a lot of, a lot of great ways. And I, uh, Ben and I will do a recap of this. So when you listen to the episode, you can hear some of them. But I have a lot of things that we could recap because you're, you're just sharing from your own experience blended with, man, some of the maxims. Ben laughs at me because he's like, John, you always have these little phrases, but I think you outdid it today. He um, really did. He really did. He had a lot of really good one-liners, bro, that yeah. – I mean, what, I mean, how many of those can be used in various ways? The way you become a legend is through consistency. If you want to be part of something great, then you have to be willing to do things that aren't so fun. I mean, it's yeah, I mean, like... and I'll, I'll leave you with one, like the, the most, it's this, and I think like I'm a, my, everyone makes fun of me because I'm sort of a me- metaphor guy. And I, like, I think in, I think of simple ways to illustrate things. Um, but the one thing that I remember when my college coach telling me, I got hurt my senior year. So I was supposed to be like a maybe a second round draft pick out of nowhere kind of person. Blew out my foot my senior year and everything fell apart. Like my identity mm-hmm. was wrecked. And and I didn't even think I was going to play football two years before that. And 
suddenly doors started opening and within six months, like this is who I was. So like, man, it was like the hockey stick approach to you were nothing. And then it's sudden, this thing was suddenly who you were completely gone. My season's over. I think football's over. Now I'm just a guy with like a 3.0 and 70 grand in debt. Like I just was like, what the heck am I going to do? I feel less lonely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so my college coach pulls me in and he's a super intense guy. His name's Mike Swider. You guys should have him on this podcast. He'll, he'll, I mean, truly he is an unbelievable speaker and human being. And he looked me straight in the eyes and it was the most simple thing anyone's ever said to me. He said, well, I guess you have two options. You can fight or you can quit. And he just stared at me. And I was like, that's it. You can fight or you can quit. He said, listen, if you want to fight, I'll be there with you. I'll help support you. And if you want to quit, that's fine. If you don't want to do this anymore, that's fine. But those really, at the end of the day, these are your two options here. You can either get through this rehab and see where you land on the other side, or you can quit and you can pout and you can self, be self-absorbed and worry about yourself and, and think of what could have been. And it was like, to me, that just hit me so hard of like, man, when your kids come home from school and it's just chaos and you just want like another hour of silence, I can just hear Coach Swider in my ear. You can either fight or you can quit. When you, things at work aren't going good, you can fight or you can quit. Things are tough relationally. You can fight or you can quit, man. Like it's just everywhere around me, these coaches, have, like a coach has the power to put something in you that carries you through like every, through every situation. And it wasn't, that's not a deep thing. It's mm. a simple truth that resonates with you through for the rest of your life. So you can fight or you can quit. And everything I see around me, I'm always like, whenever I'm like so frustrated and so annoyed, I'm just left with that one saying is two choices, man, fight or quit. <laughs> and so I choose to, you know, my, my, uh, you know, my, my push to coaches, to parents is like, you can fight or you can quit. So just, just keep fighting, keep pushing hard, keep, keep loving on the people around you, find community and fight for what's valuable in this world because you're changing lives all around you, whether you want, whether you know it or not, whether you want to admit to it or not, you're impacting people all around you and your fight is worth, is worth it. Every second of your struggle is worth it. And you don't know how, and you don't know the lives that it's changing, but every moment of your struggle is, is making someone else's experience different. And so that's my encouragement to the people listening is keep fighting because it's worth it. And eventually you might be coach Gertis to somebody or Mike Swider to somebody, and you never even meant to do it. Wow. You accidentally fall into legendary status. And well, you didn't even meet. <laughs> I, I think, I think, isn't that what Travis Kelsey was trying to sing about, you know, on stage the other night he said, fight for your, Oh wait, no, no, never mind. That was it about partying. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy, this was an awesome conversation. Thanks for taking some time, man. Keep up the great work that you're doing. Uh, and it's been fun to see our worlds collide and uh, appreciate all your insight. Yeah. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having me guys. Thanks for being here. All right. Well, I now feel like I'm ready to run through a brick wall after that uh, interview with Andy. 
Dude, he he is a uh I don't even know what what what's the word for like he's just got all of the phrases. What do you yeah, call I those? I felt I felt shame because I feel like that's normally like something that I You're do really good at that. Like, boom, boom, boom. But as my 8th grade football coach always said, there's always somebody better than you and there's always somebody not as good as you. That wasn't <laughs> even what he said. He said you're never as good as you think you are, but you're never as bad as you think you are either. Well, um, Andy Andy might have been a little better at you than that, but also he's very he's a lot stronger I think than both of us. Maybe put together. Put I mean, together. You guys guys got muscles that are his his probably, you know, forearms are as big as my thigh. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I was curious why he had his legs on his shoulders, but um, <laughs> <laughs> so the student Baker, let's dive in because there was a lot of takeaways. Um, the first one was, you know, he made this phrase that do the things you enjoy doing and do them the best that you can and enjoy the people that you're doing them with. And I think that was a great summary of just the power of being present in the moment and how allowing a proper perspective as you're doing the things that you enjoy, do them, do them the best that you can and enjoy the people that you're, you're doing them with. Yeah. That reminds me of what he was saying about his brother bringing friends home from Wheaton college and how he was looking for a college to, to play at. And, and he was like, these are just really good people to be around. And he, he made the remark, like, go find a place to be around people that you want to be like. And I think, the, the, the crowd, one of the things my dad used to say to me is, hey, remember that bad company corrupts good morals. So you need to pay attention to who you're spending time with. And uh, that's just a principle that's just such a key for a young person, uh, but really any person, you know, and I, I just thought he made that he made a great point of, you know, really pursue the experience you want with the people that you want. You really got to pursue those people when you're when you're trying to choose where where to go next. All right, what's your next takeaway? I have like four more, so we might. Have oh my gosh, through. yeah, there's there's so many. Um, I'll go back into his um, into the early days a little bit when Coach Curtis and Coach uh, Coach O'Hanlon gave him some confidence. You know, Coach Curtis threw throughout the the idea. He made the point that one of the things about coaches' tryouts were like, hey you're going to have to do hard things every single day. You're not going to like the practices necessarily. Uh, and he was kind of teaching us that early on. But then at the end of the day, a guy like Coach Coach O'Hanlon was the one that spoke into Andy's life as a high schooler and said, hey, you can do this. If you want to do this, you, you should be able to feel confident that that this is something that's possible for you. And, you know, it's one thing for a parent to say it, but when it's a, another respected uh, adult or coach that, that believes in you and says, I think this is possible for you, it's not only possible for you to play at this level in high school and do well, like I want you to be part of this team, but to actually say, I think you can play at the next level. That's, that's a big thing. And, you know, I had Coach, coach Gold uh, out of the same high school was my baseball coach, and he was the one that got me connected to going to that tryout where I met the Olivet coach, Elliot Johnson. So all, all these coaches at various points, they have such an ability to help you reach the next level because it's not just that they instruct you well at the level you're at, but they're also the ones that have the ability to speak into your life of what's possible at the next level. Believed in him before he maybe believed in himself. Uh, he said, every parent wants their kid to be special. He talked about sports specialization and kids actually don't use winning as a primary motivator until 12 or 13. 
if the kid wants to do it, like if, if, a, if an athlete, a younger athlete wants to do something, this was great when he taught his little eight year old boys wanted mm -hmm. to play football. And he said, uh, okay, then you're going to train for a year. You know, so he, he said, I believe my job as a parent is to lay out the blueprint on how to get that done and the, the realistic expectations and the commitment needed in the pathway to get there. I thought that was yeah. fantastic. Yeah, the blueprint, it's our job to do the blueprint and the exit ramp. Remember when he said that? Mm -hmm. I think that that's the that's a part of the equation that kids really appreciate. You know, I know Sam Kirkpatrick talked about that with his dad in that podcast where he he really appreciated his dad being able to say, hey, when th this is your deal and when you're ready for it to be done, it can be done. And and it, at the end of the day, it wasn't his dad driving it. It was him. It was him that was the driver of his career or his opportunity. Um, I do think that we as parents and Andy said this, get it wrong. If we're trying to make our kids specialize early or, you know, he said he said we're trying to make think about that idea. We're trying to make a kid special instead of helping them realize that they already are special. You know, that's the whole idea of specialization in sports is, yeah, you might be specializing on that particular activity or that particular uh, skill within the sport, but that should already be known by a kid is that like, I'm different and, you know, I'm going to be good at some things and not good at others. And, and if we're trying to make that or force that for a kid to like, well, you're not, you're not already special enough in this sport. So we got to, we got to really focus on this. You know, I think the earlier you do that, the worse off. Like I, I get doing that late in high school. I get doing that in college and pro ball. I understand that because, you know, the higher you go, the more specialized you you become. But early on, it, it needs to be more of a talk of you already are special. Let's just figure out which ways you're special. You're more special in this way. OK, so you're great at 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 basketball already well let's play a different sport so that you can be more well-rounded you know <laughs> what, did, what did he say uh football doesn't make you better at any sport and every sport makes you better at football <laughs> yeah that's what he said <laughs> so that's a good one there well i have one more takeaway do you have okay uh, let's go ahead years? go ahead I just, I love the fact that he was talking to coaches specifically, you know, that's one of the, you know, wanting to serve, t you know, teenage athletes. We talk about wanting to serve their, the parents and the coaches and things. And so he said, we're so focused on performance scores won't be remembered. Um, he said, every athlete will forget the score, but it, you're not going to forget how that person impacted your life and how they made you feel. And mm. I think if that's a, a perspective that, you know, parents and coaches can be looking through utilizing, Hey, how can I just be positively impacting them today? Even though they're going through something difficult, you know, if they lost the game, if they won the game, how can you maintain that perspective? He said the moments that were funny, the speeches that they gave and, and 20 years later, those things are still applicable from his coaches that he heard. Well, yeah. And I think that's the power of emotions, right? Because the, that is that emotions bring the most powerful memories. And that's part of why we're, we're trying to focus on emotional skill development uh, with, with athletes, parents, and coaches is like, we all have feelings about the experience we're having around the sport. You can't get away from that. You you're having them, whether you realize it or not. It's the question is what kind of feelings do you want to be having? Do you want to be having good ones or do you want to continue to have the same frustrated, shameful, whatever feelings that you may have been having around the sport? 
And, and I think there was a lot of times in my memory that I felt really frustrated at performance and, and I wasn't really, uh, understanding how to, how to try to have the best quality experience while I was developing and growing as a person that I could have been having. Uh, and, and the, the, I think the last thing I'll say about, uh, what Andy said that really sticks out to me is, is there, you know, he, he mentioned that there's two types of pain. And we, we deal with pain a lot in sports, right? Because everybody knows that if you want to be great at a sport, you're going to have to endure some suffering, some pain. He said, but there's two types of pain. There's the pain of discipline and there's the pain of regret. Pain of discipline is really tough, but it's temporary. You know, it's, it's, it's temporary. Whereas the pain of regret is easy at first, but it's permanent in the long run. And so I, I think if we're trying to think about, well, how do we want to be disciplined as human beings? How do we want to be disciplined as athletes? How do, we, how do I want to be disciplined as a parent? Well, I would rather focus on my discipline here in my heart, in my head, because I know that that's going to translate to my physical body. Whereas if all I do is I discipline myself on the outside and I discipline my body and my muscles and my actions on, a, on an athletic field, I'm still maybe dealing with a lot of pain and regret at the end of it all because I never was really dealing with the challenges that were going on deep inside, right? And I think that's part of this emotional skill development of like, don't you want to deal with that primarily so that everything that's happening on the outside is just a byproduct of the motivation and desire and joy that you feel on the inside? Like, that's how I I want to give that to, to other athletes. And, and I feel like, Andy has the same spirit of wanting to to draw people into to who they are and what's going on internally. Um, and we, we were really fortunate. He said it like we were fortunate to grow up in a small town where there was a lot of people supporting us and surrounding us. And I know not every athlete has that, but I think the onus is on the, the parents and the, the coaches to try to provide that atmosphere and do our own work. If we do our own work, we say this all the time. We do our own work. The kids are going to catch it and uh, we're going to be doing it together and growing together. Sponges and mirrors. That's what they are. Well, thanks again to Andy for coming on the show. Ben, thanks again. Episode 24. Great job. Great Here work. Go, man. Excellent job. You did a really good job. Trying to make, feel, <laughs> trying to make you. you feel good. I appreciate that. You're my coach. Yeah, appreciate that. Can I make it to the next level? Yep, That's the care. question. All right. <laughs> thanks for tuning in to the Champion Forward podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please pass it along. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our email list. We regularly send out content for competitors, caretakers, and coaches that can help them learn more about how to thrive amongst the pressure that they face, both on and off the field. Also, follow us on Instagram. You'll find event updates, stories from our team, and collaboration opportunities. Thanks for listening to our podcast, 